Well, good morning, everyone. So good to have all of you at all of our churches today, Bluntstown, Chipley, and Mariana. We are in our third week of our series entitled Redeeming Grace. But before we jump into today's conversation, I want to share with you the impact that you have made this year through four. And I want to tell you why I get really excited about this last thing I'm going to share with you. Uh, but this year, you as a church, you've given back to nonprofits, our community, our schools, first responders, and other organizations through our monthly four offerings that we do the $4 challenge and then our fall for generosity campaign. You gave back to our community $72,629.69. But you've also not only done that, you've given time, energy, and resources through acts of service and acts of love of showing people Jesus' love by serving them and coming alongside and showing acts of love. And then you have also given this year $51,523.58 to Convoy of Hope. I mean, we've all been very grateful for what they've done for us, but man, just grateful for what they're doing around the world and other communities that are experiencing devastating circumstances. But here's the one I'm most excited about. Shared with many of you at Evening of Vision, um, this um, number, it wasn't even this high at that point. Um, but this year, we've had over 80 baptisms. And um, that's, that's incredible when you think about that. Um, Listen, I just want to thank you for being up for others by creating opportunities for them to experience God's redeeming love and enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ. Folks, listen, this is why we exist as a church. It is to lead people in a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. It is to show God's love so they start asking questions and tell, start having conversations, and then we're able to help lead them into a relationship with Jesus Christ. It is why I've given my life to be a pastor. Because here's the thing, we can make things socially better in our world, but if we don't change their heart and their soul, if they don't enter into a relationship with Jesus, it doesn't matter for eternity. And eternity matters because everybody's going to spend eternity somewhere. So thank you. Thank you as a church for being so much, um, being for others. Um, and the way that we really display that is whether we care about the relationship with Jesus or not. So can we celebrate that again? All of our churches, thank you so much for being that kind of church. Yeah. Uh, one, one other thing I want to remind you of, since there's only seven more days until Christmas, um, and just in case you've missed it any Sunday and coming in maybe a little late or not being here for Sunday, um, next weekend, can you, I mean, think about it. Christmas is only seven days away, right? And so next weekend, we are going to be having our weekend experiences on Saturday instead of Sunday because Christmas Eve is on Saturday. So we're going to be having services that you can choose from either at 9 a.m., 10.30 a.m., or 1.30 p.m. So we're going to have those three different service times for you. So don't forget to pick a time, invite friends and families, and celebrate Christmas Eve together with your family. Uh, you can scan the QR code and reserve a seat um, by claiming that ticket there. Just understand, those tickets are free. The only reason we ask you to do that is to ensure that we have a great seat for everybody at every service. So just make sure if, you, if you're not a uh, digital person, you can stop by the gallery at your campus on your way out or in the lobby, and they'll be glad to help you make sure that you have a ticket reserved so that you make sure that you have a seat. Now, they're not assigned seats, but we're just making sure we have plenty of seats for everybody uh, at all of our Christmas Eve services. So don't forget, next Sunday, you don't want to miss it because here's what's going to happen. Some of you have been on this journey with us through this series, Redeeming Grace, and we're fixing to jump into that part, of the third part of our conversation, and you're going, where is this going? And every week you're seeing us take a step. Well, guess what? Next week, 
We're going to bring together how the book of Judges was very pivotal. The time of the Judges was very pivotal in setting up the birth of Christ. It's going to be a Christmas Eve experience like you've not had in a talk. Um, and so it's going to be pretty incredible. You don't want to miss it. Um, so just saying. Today is just another step on the journey. All right, so two weeks ago, we started out this series, Redeeming Grace, and I ask you to think about this statement in light of Christmas, and that is, history is the story of God moving and proving his love for you. In other words, as we've said for the last couple of weeks, God is not distant and disinterested. He didn't just set everything in motion and then go on his way and forget all about it. No, God has been actively participating throughout history. So God has been moving in history for one overall arching purpose, and his purpose is to prove his love for you and for me. See, he's been trying not only to help us understand who he is, but he's trying to help us understand how he truly feels about us, because there's a lot of confusion in this world about how God feels about us. Most people think God is angry at us and that God wants to punish us, and that's not true. God, through Jesus, came to this earth, and he took all the punishment on himself. He took and satisfied all of God's anger towards sin. And so what we've been doing is we've been learning over the last few weeks that especially in light of humanity's brokenness and in light of our rebellion, in spite of our sin and disregard for God, in spite of our doubts about him, maybe even our unbelief about God, no matter our sin and our brokenness and rebellion, God has not stopped moving and proving his love for you and for me. In fact, Christmas is the greatest reminder of how concerned God is for every one of us. So with that in mind and that understanding in mind that God loves us so much that he has never stopped and will never stop working to prove his love to us, I want you to think about this question. And here's the question. Do you really want to be like everybody else? I want you to think about this question. Do you really want to be like everybody else. Do, do you want your life to be just another average life here on planet Earth? I mean, like, was there ever a time in your life when you were writing down your goals and you said, huh, my goal is I want to be like everybody else? I don't think there ever has been, has there? I mean, but at the same time, for most of us, it seems like we are content with just being average like everybody else. Because statistically speaking, if your life is like everybody else's life, then you're average at best, right? So was there ever a time in your life when you dreamed of shooting for average? That was going to be who you were. I mean, when you ever been in a time when I thought, man, I'm going to... I'm going to work to have dysfunctional friends like everybody else. I'm going to have a dysfunctional dating life like everybody else. I want to have dysfunctional marriage and kids like everybody else. I want to manage my money and my morality in a dysfunctional way like everybody else. I mean, parents, have you ever sat your kids down and you say, hey, listen, look at the world around you. You want to be like everybody else. Now, none of us have done that, right? But the truth is, if we took the time to really stop and think about it, we would say, no, I don't want to be like everybody else. I don't want my life just to be average like everybody else. I want the outcome of my life to be so much better. We would say something like this. I want to have trustworthy friends. I want to have a pure dating history. I want to be in a loving, committed marriage with kids who honor and serve others. 
I want to manage my money well and live a life that pleases God. But the truth is, most of us, we don't spend our life aiming for that. Instead, what we do is we look around at what everybody else is doing in their life, and it seems like that we just want to shoot for what everybody else is doing. And do you know what everybody else wants? Do you know what everybody else wants? This is going to surprise you. Everybody else wants their life to look like a beer commercial. I mean, think about it. Everybody wants to look good. They want to be surrounded by people that look good. They want the sun to be shining every day. They want the freedom to go spend time at the beach every afternoon and the beach every evening. They don't want to get old, and they want to have plenty of money, and they want to have no worries, and they want this endless supply of beer and good times and smiles. But here's the secret that the beer commercials never tell you. The people who actually figure out how to make it appear that they have it all, the good looks, the popularity, the money to do whatever they want, when they want, with whoever they want, they aren't happy. I'm glad somebody's agreeing with me, but let me preach the sermon. So here's the deal. Those people, they live their lives living and just hoping that happiness is around the next corner. I mean, it's like what they don't tell you in the beer commercials is this, is that everybody's living for the next weekend, the next getaway, the next job, the next relationship, the next kid, like the next thing is going to make my life happy. In fact, here's the reality about the average life in America, and that is this. They are worried. They're in debt. I mean, think about this. They're discontent. I mean, think about who you've talked to this week. I mean, they're all worried. They're in debt. They're discontent. They, they don't enjoy what they have because they're fixated on what they don't have. They're insecure, but they try to hide it, right? They're dysfunctional, but they blame their parents or they blame their spouse or they blame their children or they blame their coworkers. They blame somebody. They're bored. They're unfulfilled because that goes along with being bored, right? I mean, they, they used to think that life was taking them somewhere, but now they just know that life is just like this cul-de-sac. They drink way too much. They take way too many pills. They try to hide out way too many ways and they feel alone. See, listen, average goals, meaning if you live like everybody else, it leads to an average life. And this is average in America. And if you don't believe me, sit down and pay any counselor a hundred bucks and give it, ask them to give you a hundred hour of their time. And they will tell you in any area of our country, any region of our, our state, wherever, they'll tell you, this is the life of the average person. And here's what I would say. For too many of you who call yourselves followers of Jesus in our churches today, this is your life. Because see, the reality is, you still want the beer commercial life because you think it offers you something that it doesn't offer. But you don't want this life, and you can't figure out how to get out of this life. Or some people have kind of figured out, okay, here's how I can try to have that beer commercial life, but then they find out it still is lacking because the reality is the beer commercials, 
They can never deliver what they promise. They overpromise and underdeliver. So what's the secret to not just being average? Well, for some of you, maybe it's to never drink in the first place. Because that's what happens in every beer commercial, if you hadn't noticed that. They never drink it, but they sell it to you. By the way, have you ever heard of a husband and wife go, oh man, our life got better when we started drinking? You ever, you ever heard a teenager say, our life got so much better when we started drinking? You know, you, you, ever, you ever heard that? Or an owner of a business go, my life got so much better I started drinking, it just blew my life away drinking. No, no. Now, that might be the right direction for some of you, but that's a sermon for a whole other day. But here's what I want you to understand. If you take your cues from everybody else, if you look at the world around you, take your cues from everybody else, you're going to end up like everybody else. You're going to end up worried, in debt, bored, unfulfilled, frustrated. You're going to end up with an average life. See, what you see in everybody else's life that you idolize are their highlight reels. But if we saw what was really happening behind the scenes, we wouldn't be so quick to copy it. If we saw what was going on inside them, we wouldn't be so attracted to what we saw going on the outside or on their social media. They may look happy on the outside, but you can't see the scars, the turmoil, the tension, and the guilt that is rattling around inside. And some of you, you understand this because you have lived it or you are living it. See, you, you've been living what we've been talking about throughout this whole series. I mean, here, here's the thing. You, you did what was right in your own eyes. You, you did what you wanted to with whom you wanted when you wanted to do it. But in doing what was right in your own eyes, what you ended up doing is you abandoned what you suspected was right in your own heart. And, and you ended up, where you didn't want to be or with outcomes that you never wanted to experience, you ended up and now are living where your life is just like everybody else. You are bored. You are confused. You're discontent. You're frustrated. You're looking for the next fix around the next bend in the road. So if that's you, and you're wondering, how do I get my life back? How do I get back on track with God? I don't want to be like everybody else. How do I change? How do I live a better life? Well, the good news is we have good news for you today. Because your Heavenly Father has provided you a way out, a way to experience something way better than average of what this world is experiencing. In fact, that's why Christmas is such a season of hope for every one of us. It's a reminder of God's redeeming grace because Christmas is the central point in history at which God demonstrated his love for you and his love for me. See, Christmas is when God, he stepped down from heaven and earth to not only show us what God is like, but to show us how much God absolutely loves you and absolutely loves me. So what I want to do today is I want to show you the way out of this average life like everybody else and back to God's plan for your life. Now, to find that way out, I want to take you back to ancient Jewish history to the time around 1380 BC. 
Joshua, who led the Israelites to conquer the Canaanites and into the promised land, he's about to die. And he explains to the people God's plan is for them to live under God's authority. God wanted the nation of Israel to be a theocracy, meaning God was their ruler and their king. So God is going to serve as their invisible king. And then they were going to have these judges that would help them understand and stay in line with God's design for their life. And as we've learned over the last couple of weeks, it all unraveled on them in about a 330-year period of time between when Joshua leads them to possess the promised land and when Saul becomes their first king. And, and we have a record of all that took place in this time or, or kind of a history of this time during a, or, um, in a document that's in our Old Testament that we call the Book of Judges. Now, what we have seen from the past two weeks is that the 12 tribes of the nation of Israel, they didn't like being told what to do. They were much like us. They did not like being told what to do. So they disregarded God's law and they disobeyed. And every time they disobeyed, it would end up in disaster. And that's what would happen. That's what happens to us as well, isn't it? Like anytime you disobey God, eventually there's going to be disaster because the consequences always catch up to you because that's what consequences always do. Now, the consequences are normally later and greater. So we, we disobey here and then we experience disaster here and we go, why did this happen to me? And why is it happening like this? Because disaster always, consequences always catch up with disobedience. And the reality is it's always later and greater. And then they would experience this disaster. And then they would cry out to God for help and they would promise to change and they would promise to follow God. And then God would send a deliverer who would straighten out their mess. And after a little while, they would get tired of being told what to do again. And you know what they would do? They would go through this cycle all over again. And seven times in the book of Judges, the nation of Israel, they go through this cycle. Now, does this sound familiar? Some of you, this is like the roadmap of your life, isn't it? But it doesn't have to be that. Now, by the time we get to the end of this period in Judges, the writer of Judges describes the culture this way. He says, in those days, there was no king in Israel and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Literally, everybody just made up their own rules. Everybody defined the truth for themselves. They're like, this is my truth. You have your truth. They decided for themselves what was right. But in doing so, doing what was right in their own eyes, it led to chaos collectively and personally. And we've seen some of that chaos over the last two weeks that it created for them as a nation. And eventually, the very nations that the Jewish people tried to copy ended up capturing them, and they lost the very freedom that they wanted to have. And fortunately, Joshua, he saw this was coming, and he knew what they were going to do as a nation. He, he knew that they were going to step out and try to do what was right in their own eyes, that they were going to disobey, and it was going to cost them their freedom, and it was going to lead to disaster. So last week, we looked at this big speech that Joshua gave right before he dies, and then he gives them some advice, and he gave us some advice, and he tells them, he says, don't take your cues from everybody around you. 
He says to them, he says to the nation of Israel, basically, he says, listen, if you're not careful, you're going to look around at the highlight reels of the other nations. You're going to watch their beer commercials and you're going to buy into their way of life. But it's a lie and it over promises and it unders delivers. And if you remember from last week, Joshua, what he did is he challenged him. He says, I want you to look to God and I want you to follow his ways. Because see, Joshua knew that God wasn't trying to keep something good from the nation of Israel. No, he was trying to make them anything but average. He was trying to make them unique and to give them something much, much better than just an average life. But Joshua, he understood something that most of us don't understand. He understood that our temptation... It is to always look around us to determine our direction. Don't miss what I just said there. Our temptation is to always look around us to determine our direction. It's to look at the highlight reels. It's to look at all these advertisements, all these things that the world has to offer. He knew that was our temptation. So the Israelites, what they would do is they would look at their Canaanite neighbors and they would idolize their highlight reels and they would buy into their beer commercials and then they would start acting like them because they thought somehow, well, well, they look like they're happy. They look like they're successful. And I think if we're all honest, I think we can all remember times in our lives, seasons in our lives when we looked around and we set our sights on something less than God's way and God's plan for our life. In fact, I can imagine all of us at some point in our time, we wish we could go, or in our life, we wish we could go back to that time and either unsee or unmeet certain people or events in our life. Because at that time, we failed to realize what we all know now, that what captures our attention determines our direction. Don't miss that. What captures our attention, it determines our direction. So Joshua, knowing that we all struggle with this, he shows us the way back and he shows us the way out when we are tired of having the life that everybody else has. And the way out and the way back is a simple two-step process. If you got your Bibles, I want you to go with me and notice what Joshua says in Joshua chapter 24, verse 23. Here's what he says. Now then, said Joshua, Throw away the foreign gods, the idols that are among you, and yield your heart to the Lord, the God of Israel. Two things. He says, I want you to throw away the foreign gods, the idols, and I want you to yield your heart to the Lord, the God of Israel. Literally, he comes along first. He says, the first thing you need to do, he said, you need to throw away whatever you've allowed to master you. And some of you, you've allowed something to master in your life. He says, you need to throw away whatever little kings, whatever little idols you have put on the throne of your life. Like whatever it is that is drawing you away from the good God who loves you and, and it's causing you to be worldly minded like everybody else. He says, you need to get rid of it. You need to let it go. You need to walk away from it. And herein lies the battle for most every one of us. The battle is this. Am I going to throw away those idols and yield my life to the invisible king I can't see? Or am I going to yield my life to the visible king I can see?
Will I yield my life to doing what everybody else is doing around me? Or am I going to yield my life to going against the normal flow? And I'm going to yield my heart to the Lord, the God of Israel. Now, here's the thing. In a non-emotional setting, like we're sitting in this morning, yielding my life to Jesus as my Savior, my Redeemer, and my King, it makes logical sense. I mean, of course, of course, I'm gonna get rid of my spending habits because they're creating all this debt and all this financial problems in my life and it's creating greed in my heart or I'm gonna get rid of my anger because it's creating fractures in my relationships and turmoil in my heart. I'm gonna get rid of my insecurity or my sexual immorality or impurity because it's just taking me on a path that I I don't wanna go on. See, in a non-emotional setting where there's no temptation, It seems logical. It seems obvious. So why is this so hard for us to do? Why do we not want to throw away the idols? Two reasons. One, the thing that we began doing as an expression of our freedom is stole our freedom. Remember what we said last week? I won't have anybody tell me what to do or I won't be controlled by any rules or I won't all of a sudden becomes, I can't. See, those things have mastered us. They've begun to control us, and it's not so easy to quit anymore. And some of you, you've tried, and it hasn't worked for you because what you looked for to prove your freedom has now become your idol or your master. The other reason this is so hard to live out is that we're still tempted to believe that the good life is just around the next corner. Isn't that what every commercial tells you, especially every beer commercial? I mean, if you just keep going down this road, you'll eventually find it. If you just keep trying, you'll eventually get there. Don't don't miss this. Whenever you choose to disregard what God says to you, whenever you choose to disregard God's way, it's because you think that God is keeping something good away from you. It's the very first temptation in the Garden of Eden. You're convinced that your life would be better doing life your way instead of God's way. And here's what I can promise you. Until you are convinced that God's way is the best for you and God wants good for you, you'll never trust God enough to follow him until you reach the point where you believe that God wants something very good for you. That God wants more than just another average, worldly-minded, I'm gonna figure out it by looking around at the world kind of life for you. See, God is not trying to keep something from you. No, he's trying to help you, not keep you from happiness. So here's the thing. If you want the life that God designed you and created you to experience, if you don't want to be like everybody else and have that list and even more of things that we listed on the screen, if you're looking for a way out, the first thing you got to do is you got to decide, I'm going to go the opposite way of the world. You, you got to decide, I'm going to choose The reality is you got to come along and say, I'm going to throw away every idol in my life. I'm going to throw away everything that I have been pursuing or holding on to that has been in my way of yielding everything to Jesus. And then Joshua says in the last part of this verse, he says, and I want you to yield your heart to the Lord, the God of Israel. I I don't want you to miss this last line. This is big. Joshua says, if you want to experience life, 
that is truly God life, truly a fulfilling life. He says, you have to die to yourself and your desires, and you have to surrender, you have to yield your heart to the Lord, your Savior and your King. And the big question is, why does he say your heart? Here's why. Because in the kingdom of God, change happens from the inside out. Listen, God is not interested in making you a better version of you. God is not interested in behavior modification. He's not trying to make you better at managing your actions so people don't see what's really going on on the inside of you. No, God is trying to change you from the inside out. Because if he changes you on the inside, the outside will be taken care of. But here's the thing you need to understand. God cannot change anything you do not yield or surrender to him. God will not change and cannot change anything you do not yield and surrender to him. In fact, the reason some of you, you've tried to stop some habits or you've tried to change a habit or you tried to start a healthy habit, the reason you fell to that is you focus on outside behavior, not on inside desires. No, God, he starts his work on the inside. That's why he says, yield your hearts to the Lord. So if you yield your hearts to God and let him do what he wants to do there, what will end up happening is, is God will begin to change you. He'll change you and he'll begin to transform you. So that's why Joshua says, hey, you need to yield your hearts to God. So yield your heart to God and let him do what he wants to do inside of you. And then you're gonna find it's gonna become so much easier to move in the direction that you want to go and become what God wants you to become and what God has for you. Because you'll be transformed, as the Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 12, by the renewing, by the transforming of what's inside of you. So let me ask you a big question. And I don't want you to ignore this as we begin the Christmas season. It's probably the biggest question you can ask. And I'll tell you why this is such an important question for you to wrestle with. And that is this. Have you yielded your heart to God? Have you fully, completely surrendered your heart to God? You know why this question is such an important question as we come into the Christmas season? You know why this is such an important question? Here's why. Because Christmas is a meaningless holiday if you haven't taken the step. It's a meaningless holiday. I mean, have, have you ever said, God, I want you to do whatever it takes to make my heart new, to completely change and transform my heart to be like you? And have you ever said, God, I just wanna fully surrender everything and everyone, I surrender it all to you. And you may say, yeah, yeah, I'm a Christian. I believe in God. That's not what I'm asking. Have you ever fully yielded, surrendered your heart completely to God? Is your heart yielded to God right now? Is your heart, your mind, your will, your emotions, is it fully surrendered to Jesus? That no matter what happens, I'm going to follow your way and your plan, Jesus. Or are you just chasing freedom to do what you want, when you want, with whom you want? And don't forget 
that yielding your life to these little kings of this earthly kingdom, it's ultimately going to lead to a life of your own disliking. You're going to begin to hate your life because it's going to be filled with worry and it's going to be filled with boredom and lack of fulfillment and you're going to be in debt and, and you're going to be just like frustrated with life. So if you want out of that, in order to prepare your heart so that Christmas is not this meaningless holiday, I want to invite you, whether it's the first time you've ever yielded your life to Jesus or maybe the first time in a long time because you've been saying, I'm going to do what's right in my own eyes. I want to challenge you to make the step of yielding your heart to Jesus. See, some of you dread the Christmas holiday because you've never fully surrendered your heart to Jesus. And therefore, you're never gonna surrender your life to somebody else or submit to somebody else or have humility around other people. Now, to do that, I wanna lead you in a prayer that King David prayed. And I would encourage you to make, you, make this your prayer all this week. In Psalms chapter 119, verse 35 and 37, I encourage you to look up this passage. Psalms 119, verse 35 through 37. This is what David penned in his prayer. He said this. He said, direct me in the path of your commands, for there I find delight. Turn my heart toward your statues or your word and not toward selfish gain. Turn my eyes away from worthless things. Preserve my life according to your word. So, so let's break this passage down. First part, direct me in the path of your commands, for there I find delight. Turn my heart toward your statues and not toward selfish gain. Literally meaning, Jesus, as you pray this part of the prayers, Jesus, I need you to help change and transform my desires. That's why he says, turn my heart, my desires from the inside out. Because what the psalmist David knew is that my natural desire is to take my own path. It's to take my own path. And my own path, it's always towards selfish gain or selfish ambition. It's always about me. It's to do what I want, when I want, with whom I want. And so by this first part of the prayer, you're asking Jesus, hey, I, I need you to change my heart. Turn my heart toward you. Completely change my heart and set me on the right path. It's a path of humility. It's a path of surrender. God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the what? To the humble. But that's not all. Notice verse 37, he says, and I want you to turn my eyes away from worthless things. How many worthless things have you done? How many worthless Things have you spent time, energy, and resources on? How, how many worthless things have you watched this week, filled your mind with this week, listened to this week? How many worthless things have you engaged yourself in throughout this last year that just got you deeper and deeper into trouble because it just led you farther and farther away from God? Like, what worthless things have you done to try to hide from your pain, to kind of medicate your pain? What worthless things have you done to try to hide from God? What worthless things have you done to try to hide? 
Listen, most of us would have a lot less trouble and drama in our lives and problems in our lives. We'd have more time, money, and resources and better relationships if we just turned our eyes away from worthless things and quit buying in to the lies of the beer commercials in our world. But David continues. He says, preserve my life according to your word. This means God... I'm yielding my life to walk in your way and to go your way. And the question is, why is this so important for us to make this commitment, to pray this kind of prayer as we look forward to Christmas? Because here's why. Christmas is when God stepped from heaven to earth, not only, as we said, to show us what God is like, but to show us how much God loves us. And while we don't think about it, when we pause to celebrate Christmas this next week, we are celebrating the birth of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. But naturally, none of us want a king telling us what to do. We prefer to do our own thing. But whenever we yield our hearts to our Savior as our King, this is what I promise you, and this is what David is saying here. He says, listen, you'll preserve your life. You'll get the life that you've been wanting because you'll be walking in the path and the plan of Jesus for your life. See, that's the good news of Christmas. If you take the step to yield your life to Jesus, you'll get the life that God designed you. You'll get out of the average life. You'll find joy and peace and happiness and fulfillment and meaning and purpose. You'll get a life that is so much better than you ever imagined because you'll be filled with the Spirit of God and you'll experience the fruit of joy and peace and self-control and temperance and meekness gentleness, you'll experience all the fruit of God's spirit in your life. So Jesus, at Christmas, he said, I'm coming as your king, but I love you so much. I'm also your savior. And when you really stop and think about it, as we've seen so many times, we've said so many times around here, Jesus is the only king who gave up his throne to serve and die for his subjects, you and me. He's the only king who loves you more than you could ever love yourself. And the good news is Jesus has been trustworthy in your past as we've learned throughout. I'm just looking at scripture this year and he's gonna be so trustworthy in your future. And we know that because history, which is his story, is the story of God moving and proving his love for you. And the celebration of Christmas is the declaration for all of us where we come and it just so magnificently displays the redeeming grace of God. So as I pray for you, as we close out today, will you commit to throwing away any of those idols that are keeping you from yielding your life to Jesus? All of those things, those worldly things, those worthless things that you fill your mind and your heart your life with? Will you say to Jesus, Jesus, today, I completely yield my life to you. So I'm asking you, Jesus, direct me in the path of your commands, because my temptation is to take my own path and turn my heart toward your statues, toward your truth, not toward selfish gain, because I am such a selfish person, Jesus. Turn my heart and my eyes away from worthless thing and preserve my life according to your word. Will all of you at all of our churches bow your heads with me right now? If you are with us today and you have never asked Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior, and by being your Lord and Savior, it means, first of all, I recognize that Jesus is my King. But will you just bow 
your heart humbly before God and say, Jesus, I recognize that you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And therefore, because of that, it demands my full allegiance and obedience from this day forward. So I humbly come before you and I ask you to forgive me of all of my sin that I've committed against you and I've committed against others. And as you come in my heart, be my Lord and my Savior. I yield my life to you. Preserve my life from this day forward as I walk following you and your word. And I do that with this incredible sense of joy because I know that you love me enough to die for me. You love me enough to step to this earth to show me hey, I'm not here to pay you back. I'm here to win you back because I love you. I made you. I created you. And Father, for those of us who call ourselves followers of Jesus, but we've not been following, we've been doing our own thing. This is our prayer. Father, forgive me. I yield my heart to you. I ask you to turn my eyes away from worthless things, my heart away from worthless things, and direct me according to your word. I surrender all. Thank you. Thank you for loving us, Jesus. But I thank you that your love is not powerless. I thank you that your love is powerful enough that when we live in your love, we experience joy and peace and patience and gentleness and meekness and self-control. And we can trust you with everyone and everything. And we choose to do that today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey, everyone, have a great week. Just continually, daily yielding your life to Jesus. Um, making that prayer of Psalm 119 your prayer all this week. Hey, we will see you next weekend for a Christmas Eve service, and we'll wrap this series up then. Have a great day.